back to Moving Forward with Young Voices here on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. I'm pleased to welcome Raymond March, who is joining me now as a contributor to Young Voices. And Raymond, I understand uh, you are a professor at uh, North Dakota State University. Is that correct? That's correct. And I'm also a faculty fellow at the Center for the Study of Public Choice and Private Enterprise. And I in some of my spare time, I direct FDAReview.org, which reviews a lot of the projects we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Anything else you want to tell us about your background and, and uh, what is, you know what makes you tick? Dennis, my, my broad background is I'm a healthcare economist, and what I try to do is find instances where if we can find aspects of healthcare that are less regulated, where more people have more freedom, producers have a little bit more leniency to produce goods, how do those compare to the massive bureaucracy that's most of the U.S. healthcare system today? And I've spent the last, I guess, eight years now, goodness, <laughs> trying to find those comparisons and see what does that tell us about freedom? Okay, well, I, you're you're speaking the right language here. I'm curious to talk with you about an article that I'm seeing that you wrote for FreeThePeople.org. Why aren't more Americans getting vaccinated? And and the answer is blame the FDA. I want to start with the first part of that question, though. Um, obviously, the push for vaccination is extremely intense right now. Um, in in your opinion, why aren't more people, you know, getting that that uh, vaccine? Sure. I, I think the clear answer in that is that most people don't trust it. And so, of course, the corollary question to that is, OK, why don't most people trust the vaccine? A lot of data has been released saying it does help. Even if you do get infected in a breakout case, right, there's a good chance you won't be hospitalized, a very little chance you'll die. And so the fundamental question is, well, why would people be so hesitant to take a drug like this? And as I suggested, I think the answer is that the FDA is giving mixed information on this, and the FDA has been hesitant to act and assure the public that this is a safe option you can take. Interesting. I mean, look, the FDA, I'm sure, has done a lot of good over the years, and there are products that you know we're, we're grateful that were approved. But there have been a few that have slipped through. I'm thinking uh, Viox was one that uh, was approved by the FDA and then later recalled. Fenfen, I believe, was another one. These are just two off the top of my head, but... Um, I don't expect perfection, but in this case, we're talking about something that there isn't a huge body of evidence and time that has, has passed to show us, you know, what, you know, what some of the unintended um, effects may be of the vaccine. It, it, does this contribute to that, that distrust for, for the FDA going, no, 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 go ahead, take it? No, there, there have been examples where the FDA has approved a drug that turned out to be unsafe. I, I think... Having studied it for a number of years, the far bigger concern is that the FDA will be hesitant to approve a drug that is safe. And the problem with that is the FDA can take 10, 15 years and cost a producer billions of dollars to eventually approve a drug that could have been helping people 10 or 15 years ago. So right now we have the problem, really, that the vaccine hasn't been out that long. It could have adverse side effects. It might have long-term side effects. But if the FDA stands behind its product, right, and it does recommend you take this product, it needs to say we approve the product. And it hasn't done that. And a lot of people, I, rightfully so, are suspicious. Why isn't it standing behind its product? Why should I take it if the FDA doesn't trust it enough to do that? And I think that's part of the issue. Well, I've I've heard people say, and I, I kind of agree with them, you know, if if the only guaranteed immunity from this vaccine is for the manufacturers, uh, maybe I should ask a few more questions here. Um, talk to me about the process that, that these these approval um, these drugs waiting approval go through. Why does it seem to take such a long time? 
the main reason doesn't come from the complications of, you know, developing a new vaccine and testing them and making sure it's safe. The main reason that it takes so long to develop vaccines and pharmaceuticals and testing supplies is because the FDA is hesitant to approve them. And the reason for that isn't really medical. It's economic, right? It boils down to incentives. When they approve a drug that's safe, they're just doing their job. When they don't approve a drug that's unsafe, they're doing their job. When there's a drug where there's a slight element of risk, if they approve that drug and something goes bad, right, it, they're in trouble. So from their standpoint, it makes much, much, much more sense to say more tests. And let's do another phase trial. Let's do another clinical trial. Maybe we should change up the chemical structure and you should spend another billion dollars, literally, and figure out a different way to get this drug product approved. Luckily, we haven't had much of that in the pandemic, and it's worked out fine. But I think that's just further evidence that it's not a really a safety issue. It's an issue of slow bureaucracy. Okay, I could I could definitely see that. And, you know, you mentioned in your article uh, one of the drugs, uh, remdesivir. And I believe this is what I, I think this is partially what uh, President Trump received when he was diagnosed with COVID and and, mm-hmm. and was treated. And I got to say, for a guy in his 70s who, you know, wasn't in the best of shape, he seemed to he seemed to battle back the, the illness pretty quickly or pretty effectively. So I, I'm wondering, is there, is there something to some of these drugs and and why couldn't they be fast tracked if, if they prove helpful? Remdesivir. I mean- Former President Trump is in great company, right? Thousands, if not millions of people have used remdesivir and gotten off of ventilators and gotten out of the hospital. It really is the standard care of treatment. But remdesivir is a story kind of like we had mentioned, where the FDA was really, really hesitant to approve the drug. So remdesivir goes back to 2014, or they used it to help treat Ebola. They used it to help treat MERS. They used it to help treat I mean, all these are viruses that are very similar to COVID-19. But the FDA said, no, you're not meeting our standards. We'll flash forward to 2020, COVID-19 comes along, and doctors are fully aware and medical professionals know what remdesivir can do, right? Because they've known this for five years. And so further along the process, they say, I have patients who have COVID who are being put on ventilators. I want to try remdesivir. FDA, let us have it. And the FDA says, okay, sure, but only on an experimental basis. They get it. Thousands of people get better. The Journal of the American Medical Association said, oh, my gosh, this could be it. And I mean, when essentially eight months later, the FDA comes along and it says, we approve remdesivir. So and remdesivir it, never underwent the full approval process. So uh, even the FDA said, we don't need any more evidence. This works. So has the FDA given full approval now to the vaccine or is it still considered experimental? All of the vaccines... Well, the three ones that are used in the United States are still experimental. They're given what's called the emergency use authorization, which is a fancy term saying the FDA knows to really fully approve these vaccines would probably be 10 years, right? So many, many years after the pandemic is over and done its damage. They come along and they say, look, we think it's safe based on the evidence. We're going to allow discretion for hospitals, doctors, people distributing vaccines to say, if you want to take it, we'll allow it. Interesting. I'm trying to think, and I don't know if in your research you could you could provide an answer for for this, but is there another illness that we can point to within, you know, within recent memory, maybe in the last century, where um, vaccination was being pushed on such a universal basis? The only examples I can think of were going, I mean, almost a century ago with smallpox vaccinations. 
But even with those, we didn't have a national push like we're seeing now. Right? Those were at a local push where certain cities and certain regions had smallpox outbreaks. It was strongly, strongly encouraged. But no, we historically, we didn't have the means to have a national push right, or to have national pressures placed on individuals to take the vaccine if they didn't feel it was safe or they were hesitant. So this is unprecedented ter- territory. It really is. Yeah. And I mean, there. Th- look, I know the flu shots come out every year and they're recommended, particularly for people who are in risky categories, you know, certain comorbidities and so forth. But I just I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. I'm not that old of a guy, but I've I've just never seen such a push before. And um, I count myself as one of those people. I'm, I'm hesitant because I do have a few more questions, but mostly the coercive nature of, of that, that push to get people vaccinated is putting up some really big red flags for me. Do you do you encounter this with other people you talk to? I've certainly encountered people who have been frustrated with having the vaccine pushed on them or having their character, literally their character questioned about not getting vaccinated and asking questions or accused of spreading misinformation and you know, sort of the slurs that you, I'm sure you've come across too. Oh, yeah. But I, I think the real answer to that is let them make their own inf- decision, right? But to do that, they need to have the information available to them. And when the FDA sluggishly decides, no, we're not going to approve it or we want more tests, I think that makes the decision a lot harder, right? Or it certainly makes people more skeptical to go along with what everyone's recommending. And in the article, I try to illustrate, look, you don't need the FDA's approval. The FDA let a lot of deregulation happen during the pandemic, and it's worked wonderfully, right? I mean, almost miraculously that it works as well as it does. And so I hope that people who are hesitant, right, or are skeptical of the FDA. And I think rightfully so. We'll see this article and say, okay, well, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, I, I understand. And I don't expect, Hey, I want something that's a hundred percent risk-free. There can be no risk whatsoever. Life is never going to give us something that's a hundred percent risk-free, but as long as it's coercion free, I am so much more amenable to, to considering it than when, when I feel the, the thumb screws being turned. Oh, absolutely. And I think you're in good company. Uh, Raymond March is our guest. And uh, Raymond, we're up against the clock here. Tell everybody where they can access y- uh, you online or where they can access your work. I'm sure the easiest place to see most of the things I write about the Food and Drug Administration and COVID is at FDAreview.org, which is an educational website produced by the Independent Institute. We review the FDA's policies, its history, examples of where markets have solved problems better than the agency. Uh, more broadly, my academic stuff can be found at NDSU's webpage. So NDSU, North Dakota State University dot edu, type in Raymond March and you'll see some of my other stuff. Great visiting with you. I hope we get to talk again. My pleasure.